Hi there, and welcome to episode 19 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I am your co-host, Matt Larson, and with me, as always, is... Cricket Lou. You know, that kind of reminds me when I say that of the intro that uh, Mike Myers did to the uh, Wayne's World show on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> you know, I don't think I ever watched it when it was on SNL, although I have seen the movie. Oh, really? The SNL ones are... Uh, yeah, there, there's some good stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've, I, I think I've probably seen some of it sort of after the fact. Uh, well, well, Wayne always said, "With me as always is Garth." Yes, yes, of course. I suppose it had a unique appeal to somebody who was, uh, who was from, uh, a smaller town in Illinois, huh? I suppose, yes. Supposedly from, what, Aurora, I think, right? I, I think it was Aurora, yeah. Right next to uh, Batavia. And Batavia's <laughs> claim to fame is? Oh, oh gosh, I don't know. What is Batavia's claim to fame? Fermilab. Oh, right, right, right. Fermilab is there. Now, I should have known that. My grandfather worked for uh, for Argonne, you know, which was, I guess it's south of Chicago in, like, uh, Darien, sort of that area. I don't even know. I've been to Fermilab once when I was in college. I went on a tour, but I've never yeah, been, I've been to Argonne. I've been to Argonne. Um, well, because because Grandpa worked there when I was little, and uh, you know we got to tour the place. They have these interesting sort of albino white deer that um, roam the the premises, and uh, they they would always joke that it was because of the reactors that they had all these albino deer. That might have been one of those things where they're sort of hiding it in plain sight, right? You know, it's like, ha, 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 albino deer, the reactor, where meanwhile there are biologists frantically trying to figure out why the reactor is indeed turning the deer <laughs> albino. Yeah. Well, do you think we should talk about DNS? Well, I guess we should. It's been, uh, it's been a little while, right? I think it's been a couple months since our last, uh, our last episode. It has. I want to say it was late August. Well, I, iTunes can tell me right here. Oh, my, August 31st. So shame on us. Yeah. So not quite, not quite a month. Well, I guess a month and a half, but not two months, which is good. No. I mean, yes, it's good. No, it's not two months. All right. Well, we do. We can open the mailbag, and there are some questions. All right. But I, I, I think I should say now, and we should say it again at the end of the episode that we do need more questions. It was, I don't know. It was dangerously close the mailbag to the to the bottom of not having enough material in there to do a podcast. Yes, indeed, indeed. So everyone out there, please send your DNS questions to mrdns at ask-mrdns.com. So you'll be hearing that again later in the podcast, a plea for messages, for questions. All right, so uh, a guy named Jeremy Laidman uh, writes us from Australia, judging by his uh, email address and his choice of spelling. Oh. He's using the, he's using the Queen's spelling. Did you notice that? Uh, I didn't... Uh... I didn't catch uh, which which word did he write behavior with a U or something like that? Exactly. Oh yes, he did. A, he did. It's exactly what gave him away. So <laughs> we're on to you, Jeremy. So you know, my uh, my son is watching um, episodes on the TiVo of Top Gear. Mm -hmm. Do you watch Top Gear, the British car show? Oh yeah, BBC? fantastic show. And <laughs> oh, and so he he loves it, and he's just uh, the TiVo's got like thirty five of them or something queued up, so he's watching them. And so now my son, my my eight year old son, is adopting all these these Britishisms in his English. Like, oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm turning him into an Anglophile inadvertently. 
and is he a is he a Jeremy fan or is he is he a fan of uh, is he a fan of Jeremy or a a, a fan of uh, Hamster or does he have a favorite? I don't know if he does if he does have, have a favorite. I'm trying not to prejudice him against Jeremy. <laughs> He'll grow into that. <laughs> <laughs> He'll figure that out on his own. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. What if Jeremy Clarkson is a listener? I, I tend to doubt it. I like Jeremy personally, but I, I certainly know plenty of people who find him uh, uh, kind of pompous. I would say, kind of, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. I I I do like him, but I mean, of I think of of the three, if if I were gonna have dinner with them, I'd much rather uh, have dinner with the, say the, the other two rather than Jeremy. So yeah, yeah. All right. Five and a half minutes in and no DNS yet, so we should... <laughs> right. Here we go. Uh, so Jeremy uh, asks, um, I'd like to know more about delegation records and how they work inside Bind, because sometimes the behavior is a bit unclear to me. I've seen it written somewhere, although I can't find just where at the moment, that a root server cannot have forward zones, possibly only applying to Bind. Indeed, this appears to be the case when I try it out. A forward zone for foo.bar.com is completely and silently ignored if bind is authoritative for the bar.com zone. If instead I make foo.bar.com a master zone, this zone is no longer ignored by bind. Now, there's a, a couple things uh, we should we should probably point out before we go forward. And one is that that when he says a forward zone here, he means a zone of type forward on a bind name server, which is, is the way that you configure conditional forwarding on a bind name server, not like a, a forward mapping zone, which is one that, you know, generally maps domain names to addresses, right? Right. And also he did say, uh, he said root server, and as best as I can tell from context, he doesn't really mean root server. And Ex Exactly. Um, so this will give us a chance to um, get on our high horse and talk about what I think is a pet peeve for both of us, which is when people say root server, when they really don't mean root server, that is a server that's authoritative for the root zone. Right. And that, which is the strict definition for, for root name server, a name server that's authoritative for, um, I guess I would say a root zone, because of course you could have an internal root name server, but um, the zone is the zone with the name, you know, the freestanding dot as its domain name. And exactly. I think that... So Oh, I was just going to say, I think that what Jeremy means here, uh, in, in this case, by root server, is, is, is a usage that I've heard before, which is uh, a name server that's authoritative for sort of the uppermost zone in somebody's namespace. Right, which you and I both like to call the apex. The apex zone, exactly, exactly. Like if I work for Acme Company and... You know, my domain name is acme.com, and I have foo.acme.com, and bar.acme.com as various subdomains. Sort of the, the apex of my DNS world, of my namespace, is acme.com. Right, right. Or when we were at HP, you know, hp.com was our, was our apex forward mapping zone, I guess. And our apex reverse mapping zone was 15.in-adder.arpa, or at least one of the apex reverse mapping zones. Yes. Now those guys have, uh, have 16 arpa you know they do they keep accumulating uh, uh, slash eights yeah so I, I saw one of my old uh, HP colleagues uh, out in San Francisco at the RSA show and I'll, I, he shall remain nameless to protect his identity but uh, I was giving him a hard time about having two slash eights or what they used to call class A's and 
I said, yeah, you know, you've got 15 slash eight and 16 slash eight. Isn't, isn't, you know, isn't one enough. And he said, well, you know, no, I, I, I don't know. And he said, actually, you know, if we had 14 slash eight and 15 slash eight, we'd have a slash seven. Right. So he was right. sort of upset. He was upset that he had two slash eights and that they didn't line up right to give him a slash seven. And I had, I had zero sympathy for that. No sympathy whatsoever. Well, we used, we used to joke, didn't we, that if we, that, uh, if HP managed to buy, uh, I guess at the time it was like a dig- digital Ford and Apple or something like that, that we could do route aggregation. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't happen. All right. So there's there's a little bit more to uh, to Jeremy's question, if, if people haven't actually forgotten the question. Uh, he writes, however, if I create a delegation record in the parent bar.com zone, even if it refers to a non-existent A record, Bind somehow starts recognizing a forward zone for foo.bar.com. So I'm guessing there's something magical about the delegation records in the parent zone. Is this behavior by design or is it an artifact of the bind implementation? So you want to take this away? Sure, sure. In fact, you know, as I recall, I ran into this myself and I had to be educated by somebody like uh, Mark Andrews, I think, who explained that what was going on was that the authoritative bar.com name server in this case was saying, well, there is no such thing as a foo.bar.com subzone, right? Um, I'm authoritative for bar.com, and and I can see by the absence of delegation to foo.bar.com and the absence of, you know, uh, other data directly attached to foo.bar.com in my zone data file that there is no such thing. So before the name server ever gets around to using that conditional forwarding rule, it says NX domain. There is no such domain name. Right. So should we just quickly recap the scenario since it, it did take so long to read that so that um, this name server, this bind name server is authoritative for bar.com. Right. And what Jeremy wants to do is make queries for foo.bar.com be forwarded to some other name server to be answered. Right. And and that's what's not working for the reason that you just described. That, exactly. that bar.com has no knowledge of um, food.bar.com in it. And and therefore, it sort of short circuits and says, well, that subdomain doesn't exist. Like this, again, this is all, as you just said. And therefore, the, um, the forwarding to food.bar.com doesn't happen. Right. And the way to deal with it, even though it sounds, I would say, like kind of an egregious hack, is to actually add some sort of uh, basically dummy delegation to foo.bar.com, you don't even really care uh, what it is, but you put it in there to tell the bar.com name server that foo.bar.com does in fact exist, and then all of a sudden, presto, your conditional forwarding rule starts to work. Although, one thing I did think about this is, what 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 about queries to your name server who are sending non-recursive queries and looking up foo.bar.com? Wouldn't they get those dummy and S records, and couldn't they sort of potentially throw you off or throw those queriers off? Yeah, that's a good that's a good train of thought. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, if somebody was doing recursion, uh, and or I guess they're doing iteration. Oh, the terminology is so awful. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, if if uh, you know they were working their way down, sending non-recursive queries, and they, uh, yeah, they hit they hit you for bar.com and were asking about food at bar.com, you'd you'd send them the wrong direction. Right, you'd potentially deliver those uh, the bad delegation, and then you know they, you know they could cash that, or at least try to use it and and get get nowhere. So maybe it's best that you know you actually do 
create real a real delegation and, and add NS records to the point to the real foo.bar.com name servers if you can. Yeah, yeah. Although in many cases, I mean, we should point out the reasons that people use forwarding in the first place is often to get around um, reachability issues where you can't just do the normal resolution algorithm. There's some firewall in the way and you have to, uh, you know, forward to some other name server that you couldn't otherwise discover or reach or, uh, you know what I mean? So it might, that, that, that right. advice might only work in certain cases. Right. For example, if only the name server with that conditional forwarding rule actually has connectivity to those uh, foo.bar.com name servers. Um, but then, you know, then the question becomes somewhat moot, I think, because whether, uh, you know, whether or not your, your NS records for foo.bar.com are dummies, um, the, guy, the other guy who sent you a non-recursive query wouldn't be able to resolve foo.bar.com anyway. Right. Well, you know, this does give us a chance to talk about forwarding in, in general because bind forwarding is uh, is really handy. I remember, when did the conditional forwarding show up? I want to say like 8.2. Yeah, 8.2. Yeah, and it was, um, so before that, was there just global forwarding and that was it? I think so, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think there were, there were stub zones. Stub zones are quite old. Those go back to maybe bind 4.9. I think um, they do. And we made, right. we made a lot of use of them. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, forwarding, conditional forwarding was, I believe, 8.2. Right. And I remember the issue now with that is that, um, like, let's say that you had uh, your, let's go back to our Acme.com example. So, you know, you have Acme.com is your, your internal namespace, and you have a couple of subdomains underneath Acme.com, and those are all separately delegated zones. But let's say that you don't want um, just everybody to be able to send DNS queries. And so like you require your internal name servers to forward to some special server, like a bastion host or, you know, some, some server that does have connectivity to do internet DNS resolution. So it used to be that what you could do is you could say, well, that's, that's all right. I'll, I'll, you know, I've got my server here for the acme.com zone, and then I'll configure it to forward to this other server, which by the way is called the forwarder, the crazy bind forwarding terminology. Um, so you have the, the, the server for Acme.com is the forwarding name server forwarding to the forwarder, which then has internet uh, resolution or internet visibility to do the resolution. And, and the issue with that used to be that, you know, when a query would come in for something in the Acme.com zone, that forwarding name server could answer it. But if mm -hmm. a query came in for foo.acme.com in a delegated zone, then the delegation would not override the forwarding and it would get forwarded on to the forwarder anyway. Right, right. And the forwarder, if the forwarder were able to resolve that foo.acme.com, it would. But in some cases, maybe you'd be using another forwarder or would have no connectivity to those and, and you'd be in a, a bunch of trouble. Right. So if, if what you wanted to do was build a nice internal namespace and do it the, you know, the quote unquote right way, use delegation, have servers for the acme.com uh, zone maybe operated by the corporate networking folks and individual departments operating servers for only their zones, you know, that configuration really didn't work with global forwarding because you didn't have all of those zones on one server uh, to override the forwarding. And, and, and what bind 8.2 gave with this conditional forwarding was a lot more flexibility. 
Right, exactly. So you could, in that case, you could, uh, let's say if memory serves, you could still have global forwarding turned on, but then you could you could disable it for acme.com. That was, you'd, so you'd have a forward zone for acme.com. Um, well, let's see, how would you do that if you were also authoritative for acme.com? Well, you, it, you would actually have, uh, for example, on an acme.com name server, in the acme.com zone statement, you'd have an empty forwarders list to say, yes, you're uh, authoritative for acme.com, but for any subzones of acme.com, don't use forwarders. Oh, so you'd say master whatever, and you'd say forward? Right. Or even, you know, uh, zone acme.com type slave, uh, and then, you know, forwarders yeah, null. That's coming back to me. I knew there was no forwarders, but right, right. So, yeah. It's been a while since I've done that, clearly. Yeah, it was it, it was interesting behavior and somewhat unexpected, I would say. <laughs> but it, it was an incredibly useful trick. I mean, we used that. I think we used that in the design of Vagilin's namespace, didn't we? I seem to recall that we did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or their, no, I so guess what you can, the design of their, their resolution architecture. Yeah. So what you can do is you can forward everything and have have exceptions and say, don't forward. Or you can sort of use the normal resolution process and say, oh, but I want to forward these specific domains. You can do it either way. In other words, you can have the default to forward but have exceptions, or you can have the default to be the normal resolution process but have exceptions that you want to forward. Right. Well, what I remember was, was particularly useful about it was that it enabled you at a high level to have name servers that would use... Um, normal iterative name resolution to resolve all internal domain names and would go to forwarders only for internet domain names um, you know which which you didn't want you didn't want them querying name servers on the internet directly anyway so it kind of gave you the best of both worlds you know use forwarders only when you have to and for everything else um, use the more more robust uh, iterative name resolution right that's the scenario I was trying to describe with the that's the conditional, you know, do, do forwarding, but then have an exception for your internal namespace. Yeah, exactly. All right. I, th I think we've beat forwarding to death. <laughs> I think we have. I think we have. And, and luckily, we've got another question. So uh, why don't I go ahead and read this one? This one comes from um, Jesus Sea, I guess. Um, his last name is spelled C-E-A, uh, who writes to us from Spain. It's quite an international, uh, international audience today. And he has a question about DNSSEC and requirements with secondaries. So he says, uh, I'm looking forward to deploying DNSSEC for my domains, but I have two problems. My secondary name servers are not under my control. I am hosted in a data center, and they don't run an updated version of bind. As far as I know, for DNSSEC to work, my secondaries need to support it. Is that true? Uh, is there any best practice policy I can show them to demand DNSSEC support? Last time I talked with them, two to three months ago, the reply was, there are no plans for upgrading our name servers. And then he goes on to say, my parent zone, .es, has no DNSSEC support yet. Most COM registrars don't have DNSSEC either. I think that's what he means. Shameful. Again, are there any best practices that I can use to press a bit? And then finally, he says, from your point of view, do you think the pressure for DNSSEC support should come from the chil children domains toward the parents? So what do you think about that? Well, let's see. I think for his uh, secondary name servers that aren't under his control, um, you know, I think he's, it, it, it's tough luck. If, if somebody's not going to upgrade their 
name servers. Um, I think he probably needs to shop around and try to find somebody else. I, I can't think of anything that you could wave at them, uh, you know, that would in, in, induce them to upgrade. It's really going to probably take customers voting with their feet saying, well, you know, you're running some ancient version of bind, which um, more likely than not has some security issue in it. They should probably upgrade anyway. Yeah. But um, no, I, I can't think of anything that, that you can say, uh, you know, even some IETF document. I mean, you could you could probably find something that says, you know, DNSSEC is a good idea. But, uh, you know, if, if somebody's not going to upgrade, they're not going to upgrade. Right. But And you've implicitly a- answered his first question, which is um, whether or not it's necessary to have those secondaries up- upgraded. And, and the answer is yes. I mean, they have to run uh, a, a version of, you know, some name server code that actually understands DNSSEC and, um, you know, can be configured to basically enable DNSSEC so that when the name servers receive queries with the DNSSEC OK bit set, they know to include all of those extra, you know, signature records and, and all the rest. Yes, but you'd actually be surprised, or maybe you, you wouldn't be, because um, you know a lot about Bind. Uh, our listeners might be surprised that um, I believe as far back, I know for sure, at least as far back as Bind 9.4, you can serve a modern uh, DNSSEC signed zone, provided that you're not using NSEC 3, which is right. the extension that you know allows uh, uh, the stops the zone walking, the uh, provides the non enumerability, uh, and provided that you're not using the very latest. Um, oh wait a minute, no, I think it's just NSEC three is the issue. You can even serve. That's right. You can even serve a zone that uses um, the the modern uh, the the very latest SHA two fifty six. Uh, algorithms, the RSA SHA-256 algorithms. So right. be, be, because that data is essentially o- more or less opaque to the name server, uh, it's just got to understand the modern version of DNSSEC as described in uh, RFCs 40, 30, uh, 3, 34, and 35. Right, right. Uh, you do you do actually require, uh, you know, there's a configuration change necessary, although it's very, oh, very simple. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then you need, uh, so, you know, that, that's, now that's to serve. And I, I want to say you need 9.5 if you want to serve a zone with NSEC 3. That, that sounds right. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, if you want to actually validate DNSSEC data that uses those uh, more modern algorithms, for that, you need a very late version of 9.5, like the very latest, the, or I should say the last 9.5 that they released, or 9.6 or 9.7. Right, right, right. So that's the answer to that, I guess. I, I was thinking of exactly the same same phrase you were, which was vote with your feet. You know, it's easy easy enough to change secondary name servers, right? You can you could look for another provider, one who did support uh, DNSSEC, and then just you know move over to them and you know change your your delegation from your parent zone uh, through your registrar. I guess he he might also have to start shopping around for a different registrar <laughs> not today because .es isn't signed but um he'll want to go with a, a registrar eventually who uh, will in uh in addition support dnssec right so he can submit his uh, ds record into the .es zone eventually yes absolutely and he probably has his choice at least as far as uh hosting providers go of free hosting providers. You know, he probably has free hosting providers to choose from to support DNSSEC. You know, there's no shortage of people doing this. Right, right. 
yeah. yeah. And some, you know, some big companies too. Um, you know, when, when we did our, our, uh, broadcast out of, uh, Dine's headquarters in Manchester, I, I believe that Dine, um, offers this kind of service. I think that, uh, New Star's ultra DNS unit does it. So if you're looking for a commercial provider too, you know, there, there are lots of them available. Yeah. And then, uh, his, his second part of his question, uh, you know, wondering, you know, does he have any leverage with registrars? And, you know, the answer is, as you said, it's, it's basically the same. No, no, you don't. But, um, there again, I think the market's going to just, um, you know, it, it'll, it'll either, it'll either do anything or it won't, you know, I mean, it kind of depends, I think on how DNSSEC takes off. I mean, I'm sure there will be some number of people who will change registrars because their registrar makes the decision not to implement DNSSEC. And, in, and indeed, there's nothing forcing a registrar to uh, support DNSSEC, you know, and by that I mean, as you said, accept DS records from their registrants and pass them on to the registry. There's nothing right. forcing a registrar to do that, just as there's nothing forcing a registrar to, you know, sell domains in one TLD as opposed to another. You know, they, they can do whatever they, they think will uh, work out best for them. And I do think, though, as I said, there, there will be some number of people who will have been with the registrar for a long time. They'll want to do DNSSEC. That registrar will not show any sign of doing it, and they'll and they'll switch. But yeah. whether whether or not those people will switch in large enough numbers to influence any particular registrar's decision to implement DNSSEC, you know, that remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine that that his top level zone.es uh, would have you know, concrete plans at this point for, for implementing DNSSEC. I mean, there's a, a groundswell, I think, of, of uh, you know, European country code top-level domains that have, have been signed recently. And, and .es is quite large, uh, you know, I mean, not as large as, say, .de or .uk, but, but quite large. And I, I would think that they would, uh, uh, you know, have some sort of plan to, to implement uh, DNSSEC probably in the next 12 months or so. Do, do you happen to know? I don't know about that. Yes, no. Yeah. Now, and I know as far as registrars go, I mean, I can I can speak from the perspective of the ICANN accredited registrars that sell um, .com and .net names. You know, I know that Ver from Verisign's perspective, um, you know, we're trying to do everything we can to make it easy for registrars to implement DNSSEC because we want uh, DNSSEC to be a success and we want it to be. A success for the registrars, and we want the registrars to be successful as a result of it. And so, to that end, you know, we've written various white papers describing, uh, you know, ways to implement it. And uh, the SDK that most of them use to write their clients against has supported DNSSEC for some time now. So, you know, from a you know writing code perspective, that's uh, you know a, the the lower level uh, protocol work has been largely done for them and uh you know as i say we're, we're we're trying to make it easy trying to entice them to do it right right i remember from from reading a recent uh press release from pir the folks who run.org that they actually have some uh some some registrars right now who support dnssec i think i don't remember off the top of my head who they were but actually dine is one of them if memory serves Oh, is Dine? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I thought I remembered another big name in there. Like, I don't remember whether it was GoDaddy or, or, or who it was, but, um, Lauren Price over there sent me the, sent me the press release. And, 
And I remember reading it and thinking, oh, well, that's good. They've already got uh, two or three uh, registrars who are ready to go. And for those registrars, I, I would imagine it's going to be something of a competitive advantage to have DNSSEC support. You know, if you've got a subdomain under org today and you're interested in DNSSEC, you might well um, be compelled to, to move to one of those <laughs> registrars in order to in order to move forward with DNSSEC. Yep. So was there any more of, of Jesus's question that we uh, that uh, we haven't beaten into submission? Oh, he does ask about, uh, you know, does he think the pressure for DNS support should come from uh, the children toward the parent? Um, I mean, that's kind of what we've what we've been talking about. Um, you know, and I it just is going to remain to be seen how much uh, how much child zones can can put pressure on their uh, on their parent to implement DNSSEC. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the bottom of the mailbag right there. We've hit it. <laughs> it's empty. Well, well, we're going to have to, to again, I think, solicit our, our uh, dozens of listeners <laughs> <laughs> to submit more questions uh, to uh, Mr. DNS at ask-mrdns.com. Again, I guess they have to be those that the, the, that strange breed of, uh, of listener who can submit a question and then afford to wait up to a couple of months or a month and a half for an answer. Yeah, I, I confess that I uh, that I do read the advice columns in the newspaper. You know, the what is it? Ask Amy. She she's the successor to Ann Landers, and the you know the very we we've got a, a woman named Carolyn Hacks who uh, who writes a column. I guess it's syndicated in the here in the Washington Post, and you know, I I don't know. It's just sort of. Uh, you know, it's sort of interesting to read, to read the questions people send in, but you know, sometimes you read these questions and these people, you know, they just needed help like right now, you know, and right. and, and <laughs> so are that you know, do they do they mail off their question and sit and wait for the paper to come every day? And I, you know, I feel like all right, nice of you to answer, but it's it's too late, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, her husband has left her already. <laughs> isn't Ask Amy? Isn't that Amy Dickinson? It is. Yeah. Who's uh, who's on? Wait, wait, don't tell me. The same, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's very good. She's very good. And I like Carolyn Hax's column, too. We get her out in, uh, out in the Bay Area in the, in the San Jose Mercury, although we don't get Ask Amy, I think. We still get, um, who do we get? Is it Dear Abby? Is there still Dear Abby? I, I think so. I, did we lose Ann Landers, but we still have Dear Abby? Well, I know Ann Landers, I'm almost positive that became Ask Amy, but I think Dear Abby is now written by, obviously, you know, Abby and Ann are both gone. Um, right, but uh, I think Dear Abby's written by a couple of people. You know, probably, you know, probably fifty-year-old <laughs> guys in their basement or something. Right, right. We also get that uh, the uh, that etiquette column. Um, I forget Miss Manners. Name. Yeah, Miss Manners. Right. Oh, I like Miss Manners. Yes. Well, we used to write somewhat in the, <laughs> or at least we we uh, had the ability to write in the style of Miss Manners because she's al- she always writes in third person, doesn't she? In the third person, and and uh, speak, you know, to to bring the podcast episode full circle, uh, somewhat pompously. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> oh, very good. All right. Well, what do you think? You want to take us out? All right. Let's uh, let's put a bow on it. Thank you all, uh, as usual, for listening, our, our dozens, or at least a dozen uh, <laughs> devoted listeners. We sure appreciate your tuning in. And uh, we will endeavor to, to come back with another podcast uh, in, in less than 45 days, I think, this time. Yeah, I'll, I'll sign up for that right now. 
All right. Very good. Very good. Uh, of course, we'd love to have more questions from you. Uh, our email address is mrdns at ask-mrdns. And until next time, see you later. Bye-bye.